Welcome back to Who Are You, a CSI podcast. I am Lauren, and I have seen the series through and through around three to four times. And I'm Nick, and it's my first time experiencing each of these episodes. And today we are reviewing Season 1, Episode 9, titled Unfriendly Skies. Director is Michael Shapiro. Writers are Anthony E. Zyker, Andrew Lipsitz, and Carol Mendelson. Original air date of December 8th, 2000. I think it's a new writer in this episode, by the way. I think Andrew... I think Andrew oh, was is a new writer. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, Obviously, I, Anthony E. Zyker has, has been for yeah, yeah. episode thus far, so it's not it's not him. He's not the new one. I'm confused. Maybe it's the next one. I, I don't know. I was looking at something, because I'm, I'm officially rendered the I confirm all of my weird spot the guest star things now. Hello. So I always, I always check it after, after the first walkthrough to make sure I'm right. And I, and I saw a name, and I was like, but this episode, I think, uh, before we get into it too much, is very different. That's why I thought, oh, maybe yes. there's a new writer or something. Very, very different from from the first eight episodes, for sure. So we open the episode with a approaching airplane. We then get to some screaming, and then we see the airplane having landed uh, at the airport. And Nick, you wanted to say something about your rating system here. Yeah, so I think the originally this episode I had a three on the sort of the opening Las Vegas scene. It wasn't too over the top. We had sort of a normal couple different casino shots, so forth. But the number of times in this opening scene they show Las Vegas Air, I assume that's not a real airline. I don't think so. Right. They say Las Vegas to air to Las Vegas ground control. Las Vegas this, Las Vegas that. The word Las Vegas appears so many times. I had to institute a special plus one rule. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So I was just like, this rises, this just like notches it up that extra level where they just like wanted to remind you you were in Las Vegas. If you didn't know the show took place in Las Vegas before Las the first Vegas. 10 seconds of this episode, you knew afterwards. <laughs> so yeah, this is, it's the most explicit, I think, with the name Las Vegas they have ever been by far. So, so this this is the rise. This is only the second episode to ever score four on the Las Vegas intro scale. Oh wow, I, that kind of surprises me to be honest. That this is the highest rated opening Las Vegas scene. Well, as a class Las Vegasness. There we go. As a classic nerd geek, it's not a linear scale. Fair. Like every 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 rank of the scale is significantly more Las Vegas than the last. Okay. So yep yep. So. We cut to Jim Brass. He wants to treat this as a crime scene. He's going to talk to the first class passengers. We then see Jim Jim Brass and Grissom inside of the plane where they see the victim. We learn that he was pronounced dead about 30 minutes ago. Supposedly from talking to witnesses, he had a panic attack. He died before landing. Grissom, though, notices a bloody handprint, a shoe impression, a CD with blood on it, which is kind of leaning him towards maybe not just panic attack and died and Grissom after finding this evidence wants to have the plane taped off we move to credits we then head on over to Grissom and the sheriff talking where the sheriff tells him that they have 12 hours to be heroes Grissom tries to tell him that he's not sure if it's a homicide and the sheriff is not putting up with that BS. He's like, I know you, you wouldn't tape off this plane if you didn't think something was going on. So don't try to pull a fast one on me, Grissom. That might be the best writing in line in the whole episode, which 
Yes. You know, because we'll say, it builds. We'll say something about our review of the episode at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, we can review the entire episode at the end, but like, <laughs> it's very good for their character. It's very good for the dynamic they've had in past episodes, right? Yes. And it's very grisome, right? And I was just like, ah, oh, I really like that. And then like, I don't know. It was not, it, it's, it was good whether or not it's the best one in the whole episode. So, I agree. I agree. That was, I think that was very very well good scene and then but then you don't really see the guy again to the end the sheriff oh grissom has has this little line about oh what are you running for mayor or something yes yeah it's very tongue-in-cheek which is not super grissom because it's painting grissom as not a political player in a very political system we're led to believe that everybody else is playing this political political gain game and grissom is not and doesn't seem to quite understand that everybody else is playing this game and he's not playing this game nor does he want to right 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 i think that's like one of the most important yeah he's choosing things to to sing out yeah he's choosing to not be involved in this not not that he's not capable of being involved in it he doesn't want to be involved in it we then go to the team the entire team on the plane we learn that the victim is a tony a candlewell and there's kind of a little bit about back and forth about do we believe the evidence do we believe the witnesses and i found it odd that grissom leaned towards just believing the witnesses he essentially was like oh yeah unless like we learn otherwise we have to believe the witnesses and i was like really mr follow the evidence oh i feel like We're he was like believe the, the witnesses I feel like it was more, I feel like it was trying to be more like, I mean, unless we find something in the evidence, I think that was his line, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, as in words, other words, go find something. You yeah, know? maybe we read his, his tone differently. I, I took away from it like, oh, that's a little bit odd that Grissom is just kind of de facto believing the witnesses yeah. instead of like, let's find, like, let's collect evidence and then assess the evidence. We then we get a little bit of a montage of the first class passengers as they're waiting inside of airport. Do we want to do there? It technically spot the guest star happens here, but the very quick it does. pass by of of him. So we do. Do we want to do the spot the guest star here, or do we want to do the spot the guest star when he actually has speaking lines? I, I think we should do it here because okay, I had to that. rewind it. Okay. Because I was like, Let's wait, was that? Who? And, and then I like stopped and I went back and I looked at it again and I went, I know who this guy is. And then I was yeah, like, yeah. and then I was like, it's Uncle Phil. It's Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. A one Mr. James Avery. I had to go look up what his actual name was because I only know him as Uncle Phil. Yep. And so I had to go look to see what Rest his, in peace. What I but that's our spe- our spot the guest star is Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. For those Later. of us who grew up in the uh, the 90s, where that was a staple television show for us, and we all basically grew up on that show. <laughs> Later on, I literally wrote, "What happened to Uncle Phil?" Because you don't see him again for like 25 minutes. Yes, they do a very quick pass by of him, and that's why I was like. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask Nick if he wants to do the spot the guest star here or if he wants to do it once they actually talk to him, which is much later yeah. in the episode. Because I was like, oh, I don't know how he's going to want to play this. We can figure it out together. Yes, because they do a little pass by and then we don't see him until the last like 15 minutes, I think. 20, 15 yeah, minutes I don't, of the episode. I didn't even think I knew. I didn't even know his character's name at the time. I was just like, no, where's No, you don't Uncle know Phil? it until they talk to him later on. And it's Mr. Cash, which is an awesome name, by the way. I was like, all right, you got a good, you got a good name for him. It's still a little early for when I make it, but 
I do make a prediction that unfortunately casts Uncle Phil in a very negative light. Oh no! You well, not Uncle, Uncle Phil. Phil. Under the bus. Well, you just said you know whenever TV shows do this thing where they show you a character real quickly and you don't they don't talk about him for yeah, a while. You know, it's like oh no, we did not tell you this other passenger on the plane. But I wrote it down at the 11 minute mark when we get there. I wrote first interview broken something. So when we get to the, I think they were conducting interviews with passengers. Okay. That's like, uh, I think after hearing the first person give a story, I was like, this is what I think happened. Oh, broken seat. That's what it says. The broken seat. Okay. The broken seat. Yeah. So uh, we'll get there. Okay. So Jim Brass introduces Catherine and Warwick to the first class passengers, letting them know that they're going to be collecting evidence. We then go to a very quick scene of Sarah looking through the wallet of the deceased. She pulls out and notates like his license, a library card, etc. He's cetera. only 25 years old, according to his license. It says 1975. And this was 2000. There's no way that he's only 25 years old. I, I, I caught that on the second watch there. There's no way that he's old. Because he has kids. Like, he's married with kids. And I mean, obviously, I know you can be married with kids at 25. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like, I understand that that's a physical possibility. But he's made to look like a middle-aged gentle. You know, like, in his, like, yeah, yeah. probably late 30s, early 40s sort of first guy. I thought That, like, his first, kids are probably a little bit older. He's yeah. married for a while. I think it was just like an old prop and they just reused it. I don't know. That's so strange. I didn't see. Yeah. I mean, that actor, that actor is not 25. I I don't know why I paused it. I was like, anything, I was like looking for an Easter egg on his license or something. But his birth year is one year earlier than my partner. So. Yeah. And you were like, no. That's why I like pinned the, like, the edge. I was like, wait, but this show is 20 years old. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, shh. That would make his guy like 25 years old. No, I assume he's supposed to be like around 40, 45 years old. Yeah, mid to late 30s at least. Yeah, yeah at least. So I think maybe they just messed up a one digit on the they, license. They probably were not. 65. Well, this was, again, this was pre-streaming services. They probably weren't expecting people to pause the show and be able to see hey, T- TiVo, TiVo was around. I know. It's That's very what I was expensive. I was like, TiVo is probably a thing at this point, though. It's not readily available. No one had them, like, from their cable provider. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, quick scene there uh, where she tell like, David, the coroner's assistant, said it's a shame, and Sarah said it's always a shame. We then go to Grissom talking to the pilots. They seem to think that he was you know, an okay guy until they got called to address uh, an issue with a, with the passenger. The pilot doesn't think that he was drunk or on drugs. So the pilot just seems to think like people go crazy in the air. Like we, we see this, like this isn't that abnormal. We then go to Nick. There's a lot of that in this episode. There is a lot of that. Like, 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 oh, everyone hates flying. Look how flying makes people go crazy. Flying makes you do crazy things. No one wants to be trapped. This is the worst. This is a prison in the sky. 30,000. They kept using like at 30,000 feet, right? It was very like 90s movie movie uh, voiceover guy. Yeah. When you're stuck 30,000 feet up in a metal tube, yeah. what are you going to do? One passenger is going crazy. What would you do to save your family? Bum, bum, bum. Snakes on a plane. Snakes on a plane. We then go to Nick with the coroner, and she is taking a liver temp on him to determine... Is this a normal thing? Liver Taking the liver temp, yes. 
Is that where it was? The liver. Okay. It was the liver. Um, I know you. I know you said before that like CSI watching the show got you to learn a lot about forensics. Just see this person just jab like a, a meat, meat thermometer. Meat thermometer. Never showed this before this time, but it's relevant now, so yeah, I guess it makes more sense. You will, you will see this uh, quite frequently. Oh, it pops back up. Yes, it does. Oh, 100% it pops back up. So we learn that his current temperature is 98.1 degrees, which seems higher than it should be. And Nick does some calculations to determine that at the time of death, that means that his temperature, his internal temperature would have been 101.6, thus he was running a fever. The coroner also points out that he has petechial hemorrhaging, which means like his eyes, I think petechial hemorrhaging is in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, but she said behind his eyes or just when you're like like strangled or you're like you're losing oxygen to like your head that caused petechial hemorrhaging. There's a contusion on the neck and then there's also defensive wounds on his palms so and they show a number of has a smorgasbord of stuff going on with him that that lends to believe maybe he didn't just have a panic attack and die yeah they show a number of like visually bruises all over his body as well so yeah yeah and then uh i think at one point nick goes nick like calls out like oh like a foot or a heel or something. And I like the way the corner response is like, yeah, sure. I buy that for now. Yeah. She <laughs> She's like, that's not my job. My job is to write this stuff down. Your job <laughs> is to make the guesses. She's like, that seems like a fair enough guess. You, you figure and this you is, the this, work is, to figure that this out. is the same corner from the early episode. So yes. we're getting a little bit of corner a, a little bit of corner B. Yes, we are. We're getting, we're getting a mix of coroners, which I forgot that we, we did that for a little while. So, we move to Grissom and Sarah back in the plane. They're marking the seats with cones. We learn that the victim was in 3C. This is also, oh, this is also when then we move to Warwick and Catherine talking to the guy working on the laptop. And we learn that the victim kept kicking the back of his seat. He tries to kind of play it off that he was like an innocent bystander. He didn't get involved in anything. But then we learn or we see that his knuckles are all banged up. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, which, oh, really? You were just like a passive observer, sir, with like your knuckles all banged up? Okay. I'm not even sure I got it first. Or he was like playing off like he was punching the seats. That's what he told he them. He said I punched the seats like once or twice out of anger. And I think this is when I made the prediction. So at this point, I was trying to be kind of early to the game, right? So we had seen Uncle Phil yes. sort of side-eyeing, oddly, when they were in the room, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. one view. They, have, they hadn't talked about him. I think when they were doing like some of the walkthrough or talkthroughs, they hadn't mentioned him yet, right? And he was pretty cl- sitting pretty close to where, although I don't know if I knew that yet, where the guy dies. But he's also, he's a large character, right? He phys- looks like he's physically strong enough yes. to maybe strangle someone to death, right? Okay. And and so I was like, all right, this guy kicking the back of the seat. I know the pilot said he like, seemed like he was nice because he helped the lady put a bag above her seat yes that was that was like his whole yes, premise that was his like yeah he seemed like an okay guy he helped this old yeah. lady like, so, put her bag above her seat and they were talking about the fever so i'm thinking like okay there's something going wrong somewhere in his brain he starts annoying the other passengers like everybody hates him they should i think they already had shown him or mentioned like banging on stuff i guess and so i just like generally said unruly passenger everyone on the plane hates him and so they all corroborating their story. And I wrote, Uncle Phil maybe was trying to restrain him and as an accident choked him. 
Okay. Choked him up. Okay. So, right. spoiler alert, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. <laughs> but uh, that's a fair, like, that's not a bad guess as to what could possibly have happened. Yeah, I think they, when they talked to the flight attendant in the next, like, couple scenes, I wrote, like, an additional note, like, something made this guy go crazy, right? So it was like he was, I, oh, something else that the guy said is, uh, with, the, with the seat was that he was kind of fine for the for the first part of the flight. Yes. And then at the end of the flight, it was going weird. Yeah. And they, they, they sort of gloss over it later. And I think you're just supposed to assume, but they, they, they say like he was like involuntarily kicking the dude's seat as if he didn't even know he was doing it. Much, much further in the episode, yes, they reveal yeah, but that he was like involuntarily kicking his seat. Yeah, it's very quick though. They don't spend a lot of time on it, but... But that was kind of what I was thinking. It was like something was going crazy in this guy's brain. He was jittery. So that's the only prediction I make for the whole episode. Okay. doesn't quite go that way, but I think at that point we didn't have a lot to go off of. No, you didn't have much to go off Did, of. So. Didn't see the twist with Uncle Phil's character coming. So we go to back with Grissom and Sarah. They find blood drops away from the main event. And this is when we learn that the blood drops uh, they find are near 4B, which is Lou Everett. So we very quickly move over to Jim Brass and Warwick talking to Lou Everett. This is the business man. He lets them know that the victim swung on him with a CD. We see a reenactment. And this is... Soon after the reenactment, Jim Brass is letting him know that he probably could use some coffee because he he must have booze on the on the breath. Yep. And he tries to shake it off by saying, you know, he's a nervous liar. It's not a big deal. He had a few drinks. It's fine. How many people say that in this episode? I, I meant to keep count. I think like three different passengers in first class end up saying, oh, I'm a nervous flyer. Oh, I think you're right. I think several of them do say that they're a nervous liar. I think the doctor says it at one point, and then I think the the wife with the, the wife. wine yeah. bottle yeah. says it, yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Valdez. So we then move to Catherine talking to the flight attendant. She lets Catherine know that the victim, victim kept pressing the call button. They had a headache. They gave them aspirin. Soon after this, Chris and Catherine talk for a little bit, and they kind of just commiserate over the fact that no one is talking. That they have all these witnesses, but they're getting no bites, no one is talking, no one is telling them what's going on. If nothing criminal happened on that flight, why isn't anybody talking to us? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're hiding something. Then we get to play hide and seek. Yeah, I think this is when I like really like doubled down on my theory. Okay. My one prediction. I Your was like, I had no one's talking. All right, they're all corroborating. And that's when I wrote down that other bit about like, okay, they should call button he was hitting it it was in, clearly in distress got some aspirin yeah. you know I, was, I thought it was going to be something silly like he's got a flesh eating bacteria in his brain and it took away his like something easy his, like a his self bacteria. his self-control <laughs> you know what i mean like the guy like really did go crazy because yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know and they, it, they sort of like implied that he was uncomfortable and you know wanted out but not that like he was he had somehow been like reduced to some non-human form yeah, yeah. We move to Grissom and Sarah back on the plane. This is when Grissom gets the results from the coroner. This is also, speaking of Mrs. Valdez, this is when they find the broken wine bottle and they indicate that Marlene Valdez was sitting at 2E. So we then go to Jim, Gra- Jim Brass and Catherine talking to Mr. and Mrs. Valdez 
and this is when Mrs. Valdez lets him know that she thought he was going to hijack the plane. So here's like one of our earliest justifications for what comes later is this is setting the scene for our lives are in danger and we acted accordingly is Mrs. Valdez saying that she thought he was going to hijack the plane. Yeah. I mean, I have some notes about this at the very end. Okay. But that was, I was also very, when I stopped and said, oh yeah, this is like one year before 9-11. Was it really? Yes, because it's 2000. Right? And I was like, I was like, you couldn't even have made an episode like this a year later. You would not have been able to make this a year later. I didn't even think about that, but no, you would not have been able to. You sort of casually talk about hijacking a plane. It's just. Yeah. Oh, offhandedly, I thought he was going to hijack a plane. It's like, oh, This might have been what I. I, I, this might have been when I looked this episode of an IMDb because I think I was curious if they pulled the episode and they never showed it as like, oh no, no I didn't look at IMDb. I went to Wikipedia and I was trying to see if there was like a blurb about this episode. Oh, like I'd they say like, oh, it or they yeah, like, it, yeah, they like, pulled, this it, this episode never made it to syndication because yeah. you know, the show would have syndicated 2005. It was too close to the thing, but I didn't, I didn't find anything. That's when I thought I saw a name that was it was like this episode there was like one person attributed to writing the show like on wikipedia but now i'm questioning whether i even clicked on the right episode okay. All right. so we head back to grissom and sarah on the plane they theorized that the victim who was slashed with the wine battle wine bottle was trying to go to the laboratory and then this translates into a very awkward and highly inappropriate Mile High Club conversation between Grissom and Sarah. This is one of those things that, like, there's so many little bits in this episode that remind me of the first episode. Yes. Right? Where they, like, mm-hmm. want to remind you it's Vegas. I think the first scene, like, Brass and Grissom are walking into the plane shoulder to shoulder. It's very similar to, like, that, that thing. And then it's, yep. like, the, like, they have to be, like, oh, we're an edgy show. We talk about the Mile High Club and... Yes. Sex on an airplane, you know, like it, it felt like that. That's why I was like, that's what made me like think, like, oh, I wonder if this is a new writer because, like, I, I didn't know if they were just like, oh yeah, I got to put all the Vegas things in here, Vegas, Vegas, you know, sex and gambling. Yes. I'm surprised there wasn't a slot machine in the airport and the the high class rollers were playing on. That's actually the least accurate thing about this episode. When there's no way you could be sitting in a lounge in Vegas and not have a slot machine going off. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. So we then move to Catherine talking to... So we then go to Catherine talking to Mrs. Mercer, another first-class passenger who we learn is not married to the gentleman that she is sitting next to, but they work together. Yeah, I like how they have everyone's name on an invoice and then they don't... Like, they like yeah, refer... They called, her by the, they called her by his last name and she's like, oh no, I'm actually mrs yeah. mercer not mr i can't remember what his last name is and also they clearly haven't talked to him yet because they then talked to him second yes and so but i think it was more for the audience to be like oh yeah fyi these people are not yeah not together right but, this is but obviously there's this a, is a mile work. high club participants oh yeah yeah i think you're supposed to you're supposed to figure that out right away yes there's not supposed to be any, I think, doubt around that. We then have a quick Sarah gathering evidence montage on the plane. <laughs> we then go to Catherine and Warwick talking. There, they kind of theorize, which fix, 
fits right in with your prediction is that the killer is in the group and the rest of them are afraid. So that's, yeah. that's their initial thought process is like the killer is part of this group but, and everybody else is afraid to name who the killer is. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, buy that one for, for, for a second. I immediately thought that like they've done no work for the works theory to be to like pan out to be true. But I actually I actually in this scene, like I half expected them like like gathering her back and say or the whole group is the killer. Because at this point I was still I mean, that's the one part of my prediction that was right was that was that like everyone was sort of in cahoots. Yes. But yeah. they also had made that pretty obvious at this point. Yeah. So that's not exactly rocket science. Yep. Yeah. We head back to Grissom and Sarah investigating inside of the plane. Sarah finds some khaki fibers. We then go to Nick and Sanders back in the lab. This is where they find shoe prints on the victim's jacket. That prompts Grissom to go to Catherine and let her know that he needs the shoes of the first-class passengers. And she, he asks Catherine to do this because she is a people person, but she is at the end of her rope being a people person during this episode. We then move to Grissom with a bunch of shoes. Uh, Catherine and Warwick are also there helping to process. They find a match, or they find, I think, more than one match. I think they find matches. Three, yeah. Yeah, and so Jim Brass goes back out to the first-class passengers, or actually, I think Catherine goes out. Catherine goes Catherine out. She's goes like, out. three of you, yeah, three of you are not... Are not going, leaving Las Vegas anytime soon. Yes. So the three that have to stay are Mr. Lou Everett, Mr. Max Valdez, and Dr. Kira Bear? Burl? Bear? Yeah, Burl. Yeah. Burl. So I have, uh, I have something to say here. First, oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. classic CSI. I wrote, it's always shoes in this show. So many shoe shoes. prints. It is so many shoe and they even kind of say it. Warwick kind of says it. He's like, oh, it's up. Uh, shoe printing again or something right and i think it's a great another great callback to episode one yep yeah but one other funny thing is that i could not get over the shoes that the woman who was in uh joining the mile high club was wearing it was like purple like knee-high snakeskin yes. boots and they like it's the only person they made sure to show you taking their feet off their shoes off i was like are they doing this on purpose no like was this was this intentional and I was like, but I they had like everything else the, in this episode is dark and beige, and there's like this bright, shiny purple shoe. I, I will admit that there were certain points in watching this episode where I wonder if the director had a bit of a foot fetish. Yeah. There was just a lot of like foot scenes and a lot of like close up to shoes and people taking off their shoes. And I was like, Quentin Tarantino, like, did you did you moonlight in this in this episode? And I didn't know about it. I'm just saying. I think maybe you did. Oh god, is he has is that a famous Quentin Tarantino yes. thing? Quentin Tarantino has like a it does very well documented. Foot I'm fetish. both I'm both not shocked, but also completely oblivious. To this yes, fact. yes. So fun fun fact. So doesn't he direct an episode of CSI? He does. I didn't want to like ruin that surprise, but he I does. don't know which one. I just I feel like at some point it, it says like this show has been directed by famous people such as blah 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 blah. Quentin Henry does. And it's a really I think actually it might be two episodes if I'm remembering correctly, because I think the one that he does but maybe he doesn't direct both of the ones. It's like a two-parter. I don't know if he directs both mm-hmm. of the two of the two-parter, but it's it's a very good episode. It's a it's a it's a heart racer. When we get there, you'll you'll feel I, it. It's very I would say 
it and would be it, inter- and it feels Quentin Tarantino esque. Yeah. You know, you I would say know. it would be interesting to guess, but I am sure that will be the opening credits, directed by big letters yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Yes. So followed by the Kill Bill music. Yes, we see Catherine walking with the doctor in like headquarters or like somewhere in the airport so they could have a interview with her they let her know that her daughter can't go in jim brass has like a a little cute kind of touching scene with the daughter emily where he's trying to keep her entertained he says that he'll give her anything off his person she she wants the gun which i was like (laughs) of course it's exactly what a kid would say she was like give me the gun he was like "Mm, oh it's stuck darn i'll give you the badge and then yeah and then I, I noted that down as well, that I was like, Jim Brass, are you trying to get evidence? He asked Not her. Not in the most, like, correct way here, because I feel yeah. like you're trying he, to you're trying He to asked her, did you see anything? Yeah. And she's right? like, no, and he's like, okay. Because, like, he, I didn't realize, because then he goes in the room. Yes. They were waiting on him to have... I thought he was going to stick with the girl. I thought so, too. And then I was like, yeah. oh, I guess that's not what happens. Because then we do move to Jim Brass and Catherine talking with the doctor, a.k.a. surgeon, because she wants to be called surgeon. Yeah, I prefer the term surgeon. I prefer the term surgeon. And they learn that they're in Vegas because her daughter Emily wanted to see the white tiger. What? She claims that she got the black eye during the ruckus that occurred on the I'm plane. Not, I'm not entirely sure most people would know this. Depending on your age, I guess. Yeah. Is that the white age. the white tigers are a reference to two magicians, Siegfried and Roy, Siegfried and Roy, who had white tigers, and you could see them on display. I think it was at. I feel like I know where the hotel is, and I, I can't circus, remember what it's circus, called. Was it circus Circus? Was it? Oh, okay, maybe not. Maybe not what I was thinking. Because no, there is a big cat pen. Is it Mirage or Bellagio? It's over oh. in that. That sounds the Bellagio, maybe. It's at the it's at the end of the strip. Yeah. But they they had like lion, lions in there for a few years. Yep. Later on, but obviously, uh, was it Roy who was mauled by the white tigers, and then they basically retired. But uh, but I would just imagine imagine bringing your kid to Vegas to see two animals that you could probably see elsewhere in the world. Yeah, I think the idea is that they... I think mom has a gambling problem. Possibly that. I also think that the idea was that, like, they were flying in first class, and the idea is that they have enough money that they can just go and do whatever they want. Well, she, she is a doctor. She's a, I'm sorry, a surgeon. She's a surgeon. Donna, don't, don't, don't call her a doctor. She's, she's a surgeon. That's that's the... Uh, I apologize for the dog barking in the background, guys. I assume someone is walking by my house right now. So they confront her with the heel impressions on the jacket. This is where we see a reenactment where she uses her foot to roll the victim over to give CPR so she's trying to paint herself as attempted hero here I try to give him CPR oh if he was in my surgery room I probably would have been able to save him there's only so much I can do at 30,000 feet up above so we go to Sarah bagging evidence this is where her and Grissom have a conversation about the fact that they would need to use the paddles on the victim so they take out the paddles and they realize mm-hmm. that they are not used and they have a little line about how they're not as lubed up as the bathroom i can't get over these grissom sayings whereas like you just say what you mean to people this is the same guy who was like i'm just looking at the dirt outside of this room you know what i mean like yes he was like i'm 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 just being straightforward and then other times you're just extremely obtuse Yes. So it's like it's yeah. It was like he was like we got a thing of ping pong, and she's like what? And then she's like oh paddles. Okay, I got there. But she could have just said 
we have to check to see if they're AED battles. Right. Like, yeah. let's, let's cut to the chase, Grissom. We then go to Catherine talking to the flight attendant. She is saying that she is trained for dealing with cardiac arrest when it comes to using the paddles, not for someone flopping around in the aisle. And then this is the second time that we hear the idea that, so the flight attendant says that she thought he was going to take them all down. So we, this is our second mm-hmm. reference to we were fighting for our lives, basically. Yeah, yeah. He was going to take the plane down. They haven't shown it in a reenactment yet, right? No. Like him going towards no. the front of the plane or anything. No. They just, yeah, they talked about the hijacking. They talked about this, yeah. like, I thought they were going to take us all down. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what they been, didn't okay. ever address is, mm-hmm. like, presumably she really did perform CPR because you could almost always tell. They said that, I think they did say that she performed CPR to make herself look better. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't, like, the coroner didn't talk about, like, oh, he has five broken ribs from no, that's true. CPR, that's right? That's true. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I they they made it sound like they were accepting that she really did perform CPR. Really perform as opposed to saying, like, if you perform CPR, why doesn't he have broken ribs? Yeah. Like, there's there should be evidence that you perform CPR on him. So, this is when we learned that Mr. Cash, our guest star of the week, uh, was closest to the action. So, then we move to Grissom and Warwick talking to Mr. Cash, where they ask him, quote, unquote, what did you see? And they're kind of giving him some attitude until he pulls out a walking stick. Well, his response is really good. He's like, not much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see much. Yeah. Which is only funny on the second walkthrough. It wasn't funny the first time. And then we see a reenactment in his, like... Because he he explains that he's legally blind. He's not fully blind, but he's legally blind. So we see a reenactment in his... Like, from his perspective and his limited... Point of view and so we see a reenactment a lot of like shuffling and punches and then it just goes to complete silence and mr cash says that he has never heard such silence we then go to grissom with the coroner who i had to write this down as a line that the victim's brain was a cantaloupe in a soup can yep that's what she said which is like you know I feel like she stole that line from Grissom. Yeah, that could be a Grissom line. That could yeah. be a Grissom line for sure. Although Grissom's has the most Grissom line of all Grissom lines mm-hmm. at the end of the scene. So the coroner lets us know that he was suffering from encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain, but then also explains that... So Grissom wants to know, like, well, is that what killed him? And the coroner kind of dodges the question and says that it's not the only thing that killed him because he also had a ruptured spleen he had intracranial bleeding etc so basically his heart stopped and it, is the burning house analogy or like most yes he goes the whole this yes. whole story <laughs> like I, you didn't have to explain it this long out grissom and we understand she literally just told you you can't tell how the guy died he's like what if you get and it's like such a preposterous thing there's a standoff Oh, and the house is on fire. And he runs back of the house. And the AC oh, falls and, on him. and the, and the AC falls on his head. Okay, that was. I was just the house falls on him. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it was the AC falls on. Then the house very, falls on. Very, very specifically, like, have, how does the? Does anyone listen to this podcast have a window air conditioner? Would you like to explain to me how it fell into his house on him? I mean, I get he was maybe crawling around the ground because of the heavy smoke, but yeah, it was like it was such a preposterous thing that I was like, I was like, this is the most like over the top. I need a monologue 
I, I'm, I, I have in my contract a certain number of monologues that yes. I didn't have. Let me have my monologues. So we go to the entire team is back on the plane. Uh, they're carrying in a bunch of dummies. They are talking about recreating the, the flight. So each of them takes a role of one of the passengers. I will, of course, I had to note that when they were giving out the roles to Nick and Warwick and it was like, oh, you're like the husband and wife. Grissom, of course, has to say, because it is, this was, you know, aired in 2000 and probably written in 1999, let's be honest. Like, oh, who wants to wear the pants? There's like, a lot of weird we, things in this. Do we in have the- to be misogynistic here? Do we, ha- do we have to be? Like, come on now. See, I, I do better. I also like when they were like stewardess and she and Sarah to be like actually for the term flight attendant you would never call someone a stewardess no today (laughs) ever I don't even think you called them a stewardess back in 2000 to be like well I I think some people did oh maybe okay but that's the whole point was like 2000 is actually kind of late in sort of like the 90s PC term like sort of hump so but that's always kind of funny. It was like it was like that's like almost anachronistic to imagine having to tell someone not to call your flight attendant a stewardess. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah, because you would yeah. never think to do that today. Like you were like, no, obviously they're a flight attendant. Obviously. Yeah, I uh, I actually have a theory that they uh, cut a reenactment of the bathroom scene out, like the network put a kibosh on it. Oh, they the spent a lot oh, of the time. Club yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. They spent a lot of time on the evidence, and there's also this thing where she's checking for fingerprints, and then there's like handprints on the ceiling or something. Yes. She's like, and then <laughs> she's they like, really follow up with it. Yes, I mean, like, I was like, there is going to be a reenactment here. Like, they, yeah, they talk about like, oh, you're in the bathroom. They interviewed them, and I was like, the only people who's interviewed there wasn't like a reenactment for. And like, I was like, I bet the network was like, no. You cannot. Yeah, we're not airing this. I I don't care what's covered or not covered. We're not showing this. But so uh, there was. It were, this is a very t- transitional period for, I think, uh, sexual innuendos in TV. Yes, yes. This is this might be this might be right on that cusp. So talking of reenactments, we have a kind of cut between reenactments and the team talking, and they discuss how the victim wanted into the cockpit, and then when he couldn't get into the cockpit, that he headed to the exit door. That's where he is jumped by five of the passengers is at the exit door and they the team is kind of recreating the scene of events right at the exit door and Sarah's the one that has to say like hey guys if they attacked him right at the exit door he would have died right at the exit door but he died five feet away from the exit door and that's when they come to the conclusion that he was actually trying to get away from them he was trying to go back into coach and trying to get away from them and then he was jumped and that's when mob mentality where took he over. probably he probably would have just opened the door and coach I know. That's what, like, yeah. I know. They try to make this a very, they like... Profound, like, statement. Yes. Like, but wait, if you jump a guy at the exit, then he dies at the exit. And I was like, I mean, you just jumped the dude. Also, I have the second watch through. They literally show the exact same three people beating him up in the first scene. And I didn't really catch it. They, like, pan into the, the window as the little girl screams. 
Oh, okay. And I and I and I was like, I didn't really catch it in the first walk walkthrough, but yeah, they just said th- three people beating somebody up on the ground, two guys and a girl. Yeah. And they're very sort of like silhouette-y in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah. it's like I was like, they 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 tell you in like the very first scene what's happening in this what's happened on this airplane. But you have to know what you're looking for to catch yeah, it. To catch it, yes. So we head to Grissom talking to the sheriff again. Grissom wants to arrest five of the passengers. The sheriff lets him know, hey, sorry, time's up to prove the case. And no jury's going to convict. Yep. It's a good little uh, scene, right, where he's going through, telling him he's not going to convict. I think right before he drives away, he's like, Grissom goes like, yeah, but that's what the jury will say. That's not what the evidence says, and yeah. the guy's like, the "That's like, the that, whole that's point." That's the whole point, right? It's like it's like character. I wrote down at this scene something, but I'm gonna save it to the very to the next scene or like the okay. very last scene when they're because they they get into this conversation about what they would do in that situation. Okay. Yes. 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 So we see a short clip of the passengers leaving the airport there's a lot of news crews around we then hear a newscast saying that the airline had no formal comment and that no charges have been filed against any of the passengers then this is when we get into nick sarah and warwick having a talk about you know like what would you do if you think your life was threatened and sarah kind of taking the high horse saying like oh there's no way i could take a life warwick saying hey if i thought my life was in danger i think i could take a life nick on the fence Catherine saying she could take a life if it was in order to protect her daughter there was no question what she would do and Let's be honest. Catherine would take a life with or without a daughter. No, she's a badass. She, she, yeah, she's she's hardcore. She's she's, hardcore. she's had a life, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she protects herself. She doesn't no, protect herself. I agree. I agree. I think I think that's a fair assessment, and I concur. And Grissom doesn't want to answer this question, which Sarah thinks is a cop out. But then he poses the the turnaround of the problem is in their conversation. They're all putting themselves in the position of the passengers and no one is putting themselves in the position of the victim. So no one no one is putting themselves in the shoes of the victim. And also nobody on that plane tried to put themselves in the shoe of the victim and understand what he was going through and try to help him. And maybe if they did, you know, like he basically said, like five people killed him, but it would have only taken one person to save his life. Meaning that if like even just one person tried to get to a better understanding of what was happening with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have saved his life versus him dying on that plane. So for a, for a lot of people in a lot of situations, I feel like that is fine in this particular situation. I feel like Kristen is off the mark. One, actually, both the flight attendant and the pilot, I think both were, had checked in on him. I was trying to remember the, f- right, the, the pilots. The, flight the pilots like asked him if it, if everything was okay. Yeah, and the flight attendant like he kept he hit the call button. She went over there. He said he had a headache. She gave him like Advil. She's not a medical doctor. How is she supposed to diagnose him with encephalitis? Right? Like how yeah, do you the, uh, want Mr. Valdez? Was actually, I think he was pretty. He's trying to be really chill, like. But yeah, like just sit back And then down, the guy like, pushed him relax. through a cart. Like, there's just a certain point where, it's no longer about trying to help a guy, right? It's, right. You know, it's like if you think about the outward actions that this guy had, you can't just go and at, you know, I mean, like, 
what would have happened if you asked this guy, hey, is everything okay? He would have been, he would have been like, yeah, fine, leave me alone. Right. right. He's not. He wasn't cognitive um, enough to know what was going yeah. on with him. But overall, I agree with the notion that you know, if you see something that someone doesn't look right or, or or maybe is in a bad way, do yourself a favor, do them a favor, and see if there is something that you could do for them. Right. So, yeah. I like the concept. I just like it. I don't think like they earned it in this episode. Like they didn't write the rest. They didn't write the interactions well enough. Also, that guy was probably going to die from that brain injury either way. Yeah, I don't think that, like... Yeah. That being said, I wrote down earlier, if somebody was trying to open the door of an airplane, Mm -hmm. I don't care if you think they were then running away from you when you were restraining them. No jury in the world is ever going to convict somebody. No. Like, it is literally at that point, like, self-defense. And... You'll never be able to prove when injury A or injury B occurred in that 30-second span from door to walkway. Right. Right? You don't have a video camera. You don't have... You you don't really know. And you have no way to Um, prove that he wouldn't have... Like, technically, the encephalitis could have killed him. That could have been the main cause of death. Yeah. What if if the spleen injury happened by somebody... When somebody was grabbing him, pulling him away from the door? Right. Okay, well, that's a second injury that led to his death, but that also definitely had to happen. So I think the, the, the thing in this situation is the passengers were also in a very a very different mental state, right? They had been, in many ways, harassed, mm-hmm. right? They had mm-hmm. been, they were extreme fear for their own life. Mm-hmm. This guy, it wasn't just irrational. It had become a rational fear. He had tried to break into a cockpit. Again, Pre nine eleven, but you could imagine. Yeah, still scary. Still <laughs> a year later, a year later. This hits a little differently. It's a very different story, but um, tried to open the door. I think there was actually a flight in the last year or so where somebody opened the door and they had like a real serious problem. Yeah. It makes all the oxygen max drop down. Like people mm-hmm. could die of hypoxia. Yeah, yeah. There are all sorts of things that, that could go wrong. So, yeah, I just, I think that people should act. Right. Mm-hmm. In that situation, you should act to, pres- to save yourselves and the lives of the other passengers. Uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in the great words of Dr. Spock. And I think that, like, I mean, I'm probably I'm probably in the Max. What was his name? Mac, the, the computer nerd dude. You know, he he really wasn't. It was obvious he was never going to fight this guy. No. You know, no. He was a very small but, gentleman. I probably would have stood up in the group, or maybe I'm more like Mr. Valdez, right? right where somebody would have to like, hey, just you know, like, let's relax, like try to be peacekeeper, yeah, yeah. and then like join it, like as a group to pull him away, to, yeah, yeah, you know, because it does is take more than one person. But yeah, it's very unfortunate to the victim that he experienced that and went through that and inevitably cost him his life. But it's like all unfortunate circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. I think that a person of sound mind would say. Yeah, if I have to die so that... Because it's not just the nine, ten people who are in like the 80 first class. That are on that I, yeah, presumably there's 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 dozens more back in coach. Right. Although, I had this whole thing where I paused the video and counted the windows. And I'm pretty sure that first class cabin on the inside is over half the space of that little plane they show on the outside. <laughs> I don't think they're the same plane. I think one's a set, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, presumably there's a whole bunch of people in, uh, in, in coach who are, are also a danger. So yeah, I think uh, they had this whole conversation in, at the end, but I, 
do not think like, oh, these passengers got away with murder. I think that these passengers did what they probably should have done in that situation. They definitely went too far. It may have cost this man his life, but not in a vacuum. Right. And I mean, I certainly don't think if I was in jury, I would ever convict someone. No, I don't think I would either. Of, of that. So, I mean, it would be so hard. Like the TV show, you just take a lot of things for granted as being fact. Yes. Presumably, like mm-hmm. if someone was just presenting to you, you would doubt a lot more things. But even then, it's just like, as far as I'm concerned, those people were in a reasonable state of mind to still think they were protecting themselves. Right. You know, and maybe, maybe there was a tipping point, but they'll never, they would never prove it or show it. And it's, it's so hard to control. So yeah, it's a, it's kind of like a sad episode because there's a, not really a murder. Yeah. So this is, this is probably a good, a good segue into what did you think about this episode? Uh, Hands down. It is my least favorite episode so far for, I think a lot of reasons. Uh, I actually don't think the writing or the dialogue in this episode is that great. There's a whole scene, the scene with the dummies. Yes, when they're carrying the dummies in. That was so painful to watch the second time. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was like, I was like, I feel like the actors are just trying to do the best with what they were given. But it was like, I would like hear a line and be like, why is this the line? Are you just trying to make sure this person has something to say here? You know, in this scene. And I really couldn't. Yeah, I just like, it was... No, it was not a great... I'm not going to say it's like bad TV or anything. But I would say I would watch every other episode we've seen so far again before I watch this episode again. That is fair. This is also my least favorite episode by far. Like when I when I realized last week that this was the episode that we were reviewing this week, I was like, oh no. Like I'm going to have to watch this twice and I can't stand this episode. I, yeah. Similar to you... A, you've, I mean, you've already pegged me correctly in the fact that I like my, like, two to three crimes per episode. Like, there's a certain format of CSI that I like, and this falls outside of my generally enjoyed format in that it's just one crime, you know, everybody's involved in the same thing. And I don't know, I just, I, I agree, the dialogue was really iffy, just... I, I just didn't like it. It didn't was, flow well for me. It it felt long. What was the other episode where I was like, "This would be this is a great episode concept," but this 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 execution was not there. No. It was kind of like that again. Like, yeah, I think you really pulled this trick out of your hat maybe a little too soon. Yes. And also, I just don't think they did enough. I don't think there was enough twists and turns. They didn't do enough of the evidence. They didn't... Like, one of the things when I say, like, the episode writing isn't great, it's that the dialogue isn't crafted in a way to mislead me, right? Or And then make me realize something went wrong. It isn't... The characters aren't written complexly in a way that, mm-hmm. like, keeps me wanting to know more. I, there are some people who, quite frankly, I know nothing about their characters other than their, what seat they were sitting in. Right. Right. <laughs> And I could care less about anything more because it, they didn't make the characters no. compelling. No. And I think that that is a writing problem. And But, you know, it's not the normal so far. And I imagine it's not the normal going forward because the show does well. And I know that you like the show a lot and that this is not... Now I know for sure that this is not one of your favorite episodes. And my guess is that they don't do this stuff a lot yeah. going forward. Thankfully. You know, they figure it out, right? They They're do. still in they the... Do. 
they're still in the experimental phase and uh but yeah i was like oh yeah i, I could tell right at the first walk there i was like this is just not gonna be a favorite a lot of times we were like where i think like oh is this i think one of the other episodes that maybe the first time you said that like it was your first i was like this is like one of my favorite episodes so far yeah you know what i mean because yep. like to me i'm not like a t- i don't have a, those, that kind of attachment to a to a format of the show i haven't seen enough episodes i just i like the episode it was good and then when there were like good things in this episode i was like oh that's a good line or that's that was well done there wasn't a lot of good directing i didn't there was no point where i was like oh that's no. really good directing or anything no. and so like maybe some of the best things maybe they were even improvised right or riffed on or you know yeah or it's just like this one editor fixed or this one writer fixed it but like the main script wasn't that good to begin with. So yeah, I was, I would not want to use this as a flagship episode for people to watch. No, this would definitely not be a, like this would not be a introductory. Hey, I want to get you into CSI. Watch this episode. I would definitely not recommend this one for that purpose by any stretch of the imagination. Meanwhile, one of our viewers, one of our listeners at home is like, this is my favorite episode of all time. They're like, why are they? If it is, my favorite if it episode? is, I apologize. Sorry guys. Cause you know, you know, you like what you like, and there's yes. nothing I can do to change that. But um, for our, I think for me, and it sounds like for you, Lauren, that was not the case. Not the case here. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that maybe next week's episode be a little bit better, which I almost started. Wa- well, I did start watching it accidentally. And then you're like, oh, no, hold on. Well, you have to go through like 30 seconds of like pre-commercials on yes. all these streaming platforms yep. now, even though you're paying them. I know. And so then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, what? Is this another commercial? And then you were like, wait a second, no, no, this is an episode. <laughs> I was like, so all I know is it involves some people in the woods. That's, that's the part that's I got. All right. Well, that's the extent to what I know. If you want to tell us about how wrong we are about Unfriendly Skies, you can find us on Facebook at Who Are You colon a CSI podcast. We are also on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. There we go. At Who Are You CSI pod. You can also email us at Who Are You CSI pod at gmail.com. And next week, we will be back with our review of Season 1, Episode 10, Sex, Lies, and Larvae. Yeah, so we'll talk to you then. No spoilers. No spoilers.